You're listening to Switched On Australia, the podcast that tracks the opportunities and challenges of electrifying everything, everywhere. Switched On is brought to you by the publishers of Renew Economy, Australia's best informed, most read website focusing on the green energy transition and is supported by Boundless Earth, using philanthropy, investment and direct advocacy to help Australia become a global force in a decarbonised world. Hello and welcome to the Switched On Australia podcast. Thanks for joining me. I'm Anne Delaney. Electrification evangelist Dr Saul Griffiths reckons that if we're going to decarbonise and get to net zero, we're not only going to need new physical infrastructure and appliances, we're also going to need new forms of leadership, particularly ways to organise at the community level. Since returning to Australia from the US, where he lived and worked for many years, Griffiths has joined forces with a community group in his own neighbourhood that wants to become one of Australia's first all-electric communities. Electrify 2515 is a grassroots pilot project generated by committed locals living within the 2515 postcode, just south of Sydney and uh, north of Wollongong. Their big vision is to swap out all the household machines in 2515 that run on fossil fuels, from gas cookers to combustion vehicles, and replace them with electric alternatives run on renewable energy. Whilst they're gathering the community momentum and the dollars to do that, they're also providing their community with practical knowledge about electrification. I recently spoke to two of the community organisers for Electrify 2515, Kristen McDonald and Francis Veerboom, and I started our discussion by first asking them to paint a bit of a picture of the 2515 postcode. 2515 is the postcode of our local area, which actually um, makes up six small suburbs. And we're kind of nestled in um, between the Illawarra Escarpment and the beautiful coastline. And we're sort of north of Wollongong. And the reason why we've kind of focused our community project in this kind of 2515 region, it all was based on the fact that... um, We're connected to a single substation and um, there was an interest on what sort of accelerated electrification in a concentrated area would have on the local grid. So that's why we're kind of, you know, basing it around this 2515 idea of like a space. But actually we try and do a lot of our work trying to bring in some of the broader Illawarra-based community as well. So that's that kind of Wollongong area just south of Sydney. And how many households and how many people are in this area that you're hoping to uh, electrify? So there's about 4,500 households in the region, which works out to be a bit over 11,000 people. Um, So that's kind of our big goal, but obviously we wouldn't expect every single household to be able to do the exact same thing. So as close to as many of that number we could get would be wonderful. And tell me, what, what are you hoping to achieve with the project Electrify 2515? What, what's the big vision? Well, I guess we're all kind of aware now that electrification is a really clear pathway to creating like a future that's safer from a climate change perspective. Um, and it also is, you know, started to make a lot more sense in terms of cost of living and economic savings. So that is switching everybody off kind of fossil fuel based appliances and cars and moving over to ones that are more efficient in terms of their energy use and then powered by um, local renewable sources of power. And I guess our vision is kind of trying to bring forward what um, the future would potentially look like. So, you know, if we're thinking about that what would a community or a household look in sort of 2030, 2040? 
we're trying to work out, well, how do we actually bring that forward um, faster than that natural progression would take? Um, and we're trying to do it as fast as possible so we can both sort of work out what the implications might be from like a technological point of view or an economic point of view, but also just to work out um, what how we can kind of showcase that this is something that can be achieved right now. We don't need to wait for any kind of major changes. We could sort of uh, implement these ideas instantaneously and they will have instantaneous benefits for communities. And if we can do it here, then hopefully we can show that it can be done everywhere in Australia. Mm. And, and do you have an idea of what that house will look like in 2030, 2040? Yeah, we are focused on six major home appliances and um, uh, in, including your car, um, which is kind of a home appliance. Um, and really important in terms of emissions. It is, it is. Your car is about 60% of uh, your direct emissions as an average Australian household. Um, so the car is one huge thing that... Um, you know, there are some bunch of great EVs available now. Uh, when you look back at your house, uh, there's three big uh, appliances to electrify that heat things up, and that's your water heating, your space heating or air conditioner, and your cooktop. Um, so those are three big objects that do use gas in some homes now, um, but for which there's uh, really good electric alternatives available, you know, in every uh, every Harvey Norman as well. And then there's where your electricity comes from. And if you buy electricity off the grid, then today um, it's about something like 30% renewable, but that's going to switch over to more like 85% renewable uh, within this decade. And uh, at the same time, you can you can leapfrog that uh, and be on renewable energy with solar panels on your roof uh, and, a, and a home battery. Um, so that's the six things, your solar panels, battery, EV, cooktop, water heating and space heating that you can go electric on. You've decided to start with a, a solar rollout. You're trying to get more solar on the local rooftops in 2515. Uh, tell me what your rationale for, for starting with solar was. Yeah, there's two really good reasons for that. Um, one of them is that we're applying for funding to help people make the transition off other things, but solar has uh, got fantastic government subsidies that back it already, um, and we didn't see any need to ask for any funding or wait for anything to um, push people to get solar if they can. Um, so that's one big reason. The other big thing is that really getting solar panels is um, is the start of the journey of electrification for lots of people. And when you do see that you can generate energy for free and with zero emissions from your own rooftop, um, you do start to look at things using energy in your house in a different way and figure out if you can get them using that energy as well. So yeah, it's a really good starting point to get people thinking about electrification uh, as well as being something that's got a really strong economic case and, and lots of support from the government already as well. Yeah, we found that actually it's people are surprised to learn that um, Australia actually has the world's cheapest form of um, electricity from our rooftop solar and that was a program that you know it was kick-started in terms of like getting government involvement and that's you know shows the kind of demonstration of success that can be had with sort of like a little bit of support um, and then now it's become so popular and um, effective that it's something that's easily you know like the case is there for everybody to get on board. Actually, just going back just slightly, uh, I mean, Kristen, tell me, how, how did the project come about? It was because it's very, it's a very grassroots campaign, isn't it? 
Yeah, so Francis and I are part of a local community group that has been interested in environmental kind of issues for a little while, particularly climate change. And we've kind of run, you know, various projects locally. And I guess, but a lot of it was probably focused on, you know, trying to stop something negative from happening. Like, And when we kind of read um, Saul Griffith's The Big Switch book, he really kind of laid out a blueprint of um, how we can create something positive instead. And so in his, um, we, I remember reading his book and it said something like along the lines of, you know, we, we now just need a community to kind of test these kind of concepts um, and show, show how this can be done. And we as a little kind of volunteer community group turned to each other and said, well, why don't we see if that could be our community to try and test this proof of concept? And so we kind of banded together and worked out, you know, um, let, what would that look like and would our community even be interested in this and we were really like so thrilled because once we started talking to our community we realised that this was a concept that wasn't just um, supported by us you know sitting in our pub um, <laughs> trying to work out what we can do to help solve this whole big climate crisis issue um, but it was something that was resonating with our local community and we sort of set ourselves a target of seeing if we could get 500 households interested um, in a potential um, electrification pilot within three months. And I think, you know, we sent out a bit of an expression of interest and household survey. And within about three days, we got 500 households um, sign up and complete this pretty in-depth survey so it really demonstrated that yeah people are interested they want to they want to do something and it's yeah it was exciting that that's a good success rate given there are it's only 4000 households actually in in the community Actually, we think about this a lot about the power of um, community-led change. And mm. there's a sort of a similar um, project happening in South Australia where the South Australian Power Network has been trying to kind of also test a community electrification pilot. And then they sent around sort of letters or to, to households to see if they would want to take part. Their kind of response rate was around about 1% uptake. And we found that when we were going to our community, because we're all within um, community networks, there was something, and we got about a 25% response rate, which is, um, you know, obviously very, very positive and very encouraging. And it really shows that there's a lot to be learned from um, community-led change in the sense that we can help provide that, the networking and that trusted sources of information that people really kind of respond to. How, how do you account for the fact that you do have so much engagement and so much positive energy, I suppose, in your region? What, what, what accounts for that? I, I think we should probably also mention that Saul Griffith did move <laughs> to our community um, about two years ago. And, and he really did spark some of those conversations as well. He launched his book and had had local events at the library. And I think people had, had started thinking about um, electrification and the energy transition um, a bit more than the average community here a little while ago. Do you think that that's what it takes to have somebody like Saul involved in something like this? No. I don't think so because we've found since we've done this, we've had so many different groups from all over Australia 
contact us and tell us that, you know, oh, we'd love to do something like this in our community. And they already feel like they've got that support. Like, of course, it helps, you know, having a bit of a star power to bring along to events and things. But I would say that no, no community needs mm. that to kind of generate support. And um, yeah, there's, there's a lot lot of other lessons that can be learned just from you know community members showing how it can be done um so yeah it can it doesn't hurt but it's definitely mm. not essential francis yeah well i was also going to go on to say that i think the community here as kristen accounted for um she was describing this community just before and it's just south of sydney it still has a lot of people that do move back and forward to the city but it's a it's a pretty progressive community as well and a community that's kind of up for looking forward on a lot of these things. So I think that is um, a great ingredient in the success that we've seen early. Uh, but there's nothing, you know, particularly lefty or progressive, I think, about what we're putting up. Um, it's actually something that the community is getting behind because um, they can see both that it, it makes sense uh, in the long run of what's what's going to happen in the energy transition and uh, and makes sense for their for their house and making decisions about what's in it. And what and what you're part of is what everybody's calling the decentralisation of power. I mean, we've had very centralised systems up until very recently, but rooftop solar is a classic example of decentralised power where the community can take more control and the householder can, can take more control of their own energy, energy production and energy use. To, to what extent do you think that people are banding together because of a distrust that has emerged towards the energy companies? Um, for me, I don't see it necessarily as a reflection of distrust, but I feel like people are responding to the opportunity for community benefit. Um, and what I'm really um, appreciating about this kind of campaign is how we can frame a lot of issues in the positive way. And I think that's really resonating. So we worked out that, you know, if like the, in our area, like around every household is spending about $3,000 every year on their petrol or diesel for their car. And so collectively, we are sending $15 million of money every year just from our community over to foreign-based um, oil companies. And if even a fraction of that or half of that, which is you know what's based on kind of local economic uh, models show that if that about half of that would stay within the community, um, that is a significant benefit to our local community if we can retain some of that um, money that is saved on things like not, you know, not fueling up our car every week. I was wondering, have you worked out how much power you'd need uh, for the whole community to be run on renewable energy? Is that a possibility? I'm not going to be able to give you the exact uh, number for that, but I know that um, a lot of what we see coming in the energy future depends on how much energy people can use during the day. We have a ton of rooftops that still don't have solar here and a lot of community assets as well that could host um, really large solar capacity too. And at the same time, if we're going to bring a lot of EVs and a lot of extra electric appliances into the community, um, then that is going to drive a lot more power. And it, it overall looks to increase the power requirement by about 2.5x you know, of total energy is what you need in a fully electrified future from the grid. And the real question is, do you, do you need to build 2.5x more um, you know, power stations uh, or, or utility scale energy sources? 
And the answer is, you know, if people do come home and plug in their car at 6pm every night with no regard for when or how the energy's um, being generated, then yes, we're going to actually need to spend a lot more on the grid. But if we have charging that's based in our communities and workplaces where cars are actually dwelling during the day and we can push all the energy demand that especially cars are driving towards that midday solar peak, um, then there's actually not a ton of uh, change required. So it's, you know, you can really, you can drive a lot of that energy production really cheaply from, you know, that the miracle energy that is Australian rooftop solar because it is so cheap to deploy um, and really kind of comes out at three cents a kilowatt hour, including finance um, all, all up. A significant feature, though, of your area is that massive and, and beautiful escarpment that runs north to south through the whole postcard. What impact is that going to have on the solar potential for the community? Yeah, a lot of people do, you know, point to the big cliff top and the sun does set about an hour earlier here um, as a result um, or, or two hours or three if you live right up uh, nestled in, in the rainforest up the top. Um, but it's, it still leaves a lot of solar production through the day and there's still a lot of sunshine com coming from just over the hill and there are proposals to put things like utility solar up on some of the plains up above the cliff actually. But what I, I would also say is that although, you know, the idea of, you know, autonomy and distributed energy and, um, you know, being able to generate your own energy is really appealing to some people, uh, I think it's also really exciting that what our kind of energy future involves is actually being very interconnected um, and that, you know, renewable energy is going to come from all over the country. And it's not just going to be that, you know, energy is coming from down the street, although that energy is very cheap to, to obtain and, and deliver. Um, but for the times when the sun isn't shining in 2515, um, it's going to be shining somewhere else in Australia. And, you know, with the right transmission infrastructure, um, a really diverse energy system for across Australia's, you know, wide brown land uh, is is going to support um, a really cheap and and low emissions um, electricity system. Yes, there's what the the grid will supply, as you say, when the sun doesn't shine. But also, what about uh, plans for storage for batteries in in the postcode? Are you working towards that as well? There are lots of plans to do that. The, the future of batteries is, you know, is uh, a, a huge topic and a, a big discussion point. And, um, you know, I listen to lots of the Renew Economy podcasts and uh, to, <laughs> to hear about this as well. You know, there's there's quite a few different futures. There's a lot of home batteries that are getting rolled out and we're going to support people hopefully to get home batteries as part of this pilot as well. Um, in some ways, that's going to simulate a future in which we really hope that, you know, vehicle to grid technology does come online and, and gets past the hurdles that it uh, still seems to be slowly working its way past um, to make that enormous vehicle based battery that we could all use part of uh, part of the, the resource that we have, because that does change a lot. Um, we'll be probably working with the distributor to look at, um, you know, network uh, installed batteries as well uh, that are as, as part of this trial to support the grid and do some more smoothing of that energy too. Um, and, you know, and then there's there's all kinds of, uh, you know, novel um, storage and, and time shifting technologies around. Um, so, so I think, you know, we, it, it's definitely one of the parts of the pilot where we're interested in actually trying everything on this. There'll be some community batteries, some home batteries, and uh, if we can, if we can get hold of any, some uh, some vehicle to grid um, trial components as well.
Yes. And there's some pro some of those projects obviously going on, which you might be able to be part of. I, I was wondering though, I mean, clearly one of the major issues with a project like this is is cost, is the financing. How are you planning to get the finance to, to pay for some of these appliances? And uh, I mean, solar, as you said, there's, there's some incentives there still, but what about everything else? The heat pumps, the electric vehicles, etc. I guess we have a few different approaches to that because as we know, um, once we kind of have these um, appliances installed, then the economics really work out. There are long-term savings for people, but you know, it's really prohibitive for many people to actually go out and afford those kind of capital items up front. Um, so we're trying to address this in a couple of ways. Um, firstly, for things that won't be part of our technical pilot, we're trying to organise um, bulk buys. And so, for instance, with our solar rollout, we, we went through as a community group like a big kind of vetting process where we kind of looked at a whole range of different local um, solar providers and we vetted their their kind of business and in the end we partnered with two who could offer us also a competitive discount um, and we you know hope to emulate that with a few of the other different products um, so bulkwise helps a little bit um, we're making people a lot more aware of the rebates that are already exist so you know many people don't even mm. know that you know for instance the new south wales government has a heat pump rebate available which can make it quite affordable for people to um, install one of these hot water heat pumps um, so we've kind of collated a bunch of information so we do find that awareness raising is a huge component of this process um, then then fourthly, we're um, lobbying, like we're trying to basically pressure our local government and also our state and federal MPs for financing. Um, we really believe that um, at the government level is where this is going to happen um, at a broad scale. Um, we really need that interjection of government funding to assist, particularly the lower income, starting with the lower income households and all the harder to electrify kind of um, households. And then... We're also, as this 2515 project, we're applying for funding through um, ARENA, the Renewable Energy Agency, and um, that's not um, confirmed or determined at the moment, but the idea is if we receive essentially sort of a grant funding for this, we could um, subsidise households further, and if we could do that, then, you know, we would be bringing forward people's um, electrification journey, um, therefore we have like a a bigger sample size that would make it technologically interesting to study what sort of impact that would have. One of the issues, we, because of the cost of the transition and the fact that we are going to need finance injected, how are we going to ensure that everybody gets to transition? Because you know, people who um, are on low incomes, people who are actually renting, it's also much harder to, to, to do this transition. What do you think we can do to ensure that everybody comes along on the journey? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a massive um, question. It's a massive issue that, that absolutely has to be solved. In Australia, about a third of us own a house with no mortgage, a third of us own a house with a mortgage and a third of us rent. Um, and all of those thirds need to do this and all of them need to, you know, basically see the, the microeconomic case to do it. Um, of those three, you know, a, a homeowner with a mortgage actually does have a pretty good option available, which is, you know, usually you can redraw your mortgage at, um, 
you know, unfortunately, interest rates are higher than they were, um, mm. but they you've still got um, usually access to a bit of capital there that you might be able to draw on to do some of these upgrades. Um, for you know a lot of people that own their own home as well, you've got you know equity in that that um, can work. But I think renters is a really difficult um, case, and there does need to be changes to make things work for renters. Um, it's pretty it's pretty frustrating because solar panels save money, and if you just could figure out a way to allocate that money um, in a way that everyone was happy with between a landlord and a renter, um, we could be getting so much more of that done. There's barely any solar panels on rentals in Australia, unfortunately. Um, and I think it would be, you know, there's a lot of funding that's come through in the budget to start doing this. There's, you know, $1.7 billion, I think, in the budget in total for different uh, electrification programs. But if we, I think, they'll, you know, with that funding available, there probably does need to be some consideration of what the sticks are that are going to need to be added to make sure that landlords are thinking strategically about, you know, what's on their home and what capital investments they make. Um you know, the state government levies land taxes on people. And I like to imagine, you know, what have you added a, a kind of a, a solar credit to land taxes to encourage people who were investors in, in land to be um, making sure that there, that there was solar put out there. Um, you know, the uh, councils administer rates and um, rates are applied to landlords and, and homeowners. And uh, rates are an interesting opportunity to attach the finance um for these kind of upgrades onto a property so that if you're about to sell or if even if you're if you're a renter that can agree to get finance on these capital upgrades you could um, use rates as a mechanism to actually carry the cost of that across different owners of the property potentially so we've got a few different creative ideas about that but it's one of the most important um, parts of the policy landscape it's, it's definitely the part of the project that kind of keeps me most awake at night, to be honest. Um, and sometimes I kind of worry, like, you know, how, how are we making sure that this is accessible for everybody? And I think it's about, you know, it shouldn't necessarily be the burden of... Um, or individuals to be um, solving this issue. Like this is what this is the whole purpose of having, you know, governments at various levels. And there's so many different things that they can be doing. Whether it's like regulatory, whether it's in, um, investment in infrastructure, whether it's different financial kind of um, models. That um, you know we can spend a significant amount of money, the government, on all sorts of things. You know, look at all the submarines we'd like to purchase. But it shows that you know there is a real need for the government to support um, households to make this kind of transition because once, you know, overcome that really, um, that upfront capital cost, you know, it's making so much sense for everybody. So we, you know, we do need that support as well. Mm. I can see how you're providing incredible community resource in the knowledge that you've gained and the advice that you can provide. But bottom line, do you reckon that this transition is really only possible with government finance? You're absolutely right that the education component of this is a massive part. And if you break down the spreadsheet in detail and you look at the cost and payback on a solar panel, it's really strong on um, heat pumps and efficient water heating or induction cooking or space heating, you've really got a strong economic case already um, that's there in the long-term savings. And there are, you know, finance products that can help people, um, I guess, defray the upfront cost of that if they need. Um, if you look at batteries and EVs, uh, the spreadsheet doesn't quite add up yet on a purely financial basis. There's, you know, lots of good reasons to buy 
EVs or home batteries, but if you're just looking to save money, um, then they're not an obvious um, slam dunk case today. That happens in like two or three years from now uh, based on current pricing trajectories. And when that does happen, the real point of pilots like this is to be able to be ready to move really fast and to have come, you know, come across to scale up essentially yeah yeah we you know a lot of what we are doing as part of the arena funding project um that we're proposing is a lot of research into soft costs and research into how we can drive the cost down of making electrification upgrades just like we've made um solar installs really cheap and kind of following that model to save we're going to be able to move quickly and actually move like the nation off gas over the next 15 years, then we're going to have to have like really good um, trades, really good strong businesses that can can do this stuff at scale um, and really good technical approaches and technologies that help us uh, do this really cheaply. So it's, it's a big part of the pilot is to figure out ways to make this genuinely cost, um, cost a lot less. Um, I think the other really exciting idea um, that we we have talked about and um, you know that we've talked about with uh, Professor Bruce Chapman who invented the hex system to, to fund people going through university um, is to really think about a national program to get um, something like hex to help people um, get a loan in a universal way uh, if we just rely on commercial finance then there are a lot of people in Australia that can't access a loan based on credit scores. Um, but if the government can provide a loan that's based on um, income and, and gets paid back when people can afford it, um, that gives people a lot of ability to actually participate in this. And, you know, we can't just electrify, you know, the, the rich half of Australia. Everyone's got to come on this journey um, and, uh, and it'll go really badly if, if everyone can't join in. Mm, absolutely. The, the United States has introduced the multi-billion dollar Inflation Reduction Act last year and it's already having a, a big impact on bringing about the, the transition to a clean energy technology. Would you like to see an IRA here in Australia? Yeah, I think um, what the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, has shown is that, well, for one, you know, the go governments are able and willing to put up good amounts of money for this concept of um, household electrification. So they've kind of earmarking like $369 billion, which would unlock about $30,000 worth of kind of um, support for every individual household in America. Um, and it's really putting households at the centrepiece of effective climate policy. And that's what's also really exciting is that um, from, you know, in the past, it really felt like households or individuals, you know, were almost a little bit powerless when it came to kind of trying to approach climate change. And um, by actually putting households in the, you know, in the forefront, you can show that, you know, there's a lot of benefit collectively when it, each household is switching over to electrification. And then there's also all these other wonderful kind of things that we can benefit from, like the cost of living um the cost of living savings that will happen if we do the same thing. So yeah, the IRA is definitely not perfect and there's a lot of things that can be done better and more comprehensively and we'd love to see Australia go at it even better and bigger than um, America, but it shows us that this is something that the world is moving to and you know, Australia, if we kind of get on board now, we could actually become a bit of a leader in the kind of clean tech space as well. Yeah, I'd jump in 
and say, yeah, we absolutely can um, do something like the IRA in Australia and it can be a lot better. The, the IRA sets the bar pretty high. It's an enormous amount of spending and it is driving a huge amount of change. But because American politics is so broken, they can only do things through the tax code. And it means that really they can only give benefits to people through that legislation who are already paying a lot of tax. So again, you're missing out on a, a really large number of people um, which which you really have to reach uh, to make this to make this happen, um, both both socially and you know uh, on the science. So Australia's got the opportunity to kind of look at the bar that's been set there, but um, roll out a policy that covers everybody uh, instead of just people who who can use tax deductions um, off of higher incomes. And uh, and yeah, I mean we've got the natural benefits of of you know cheap solar energy that make this whole thing add up economically for households. Um, even faster. So, you know, the the renewable superpower story is is not just going to be one of you know Australia's super cheap solar out in the desert powering new heavy industries. It's also how much cheaper our our own households can run here in this country thanks to the the natural advantages we've got here as well. Coming back to two five one five, another big issue which you touched on very briefly on the electrification journey is actually getting tradies to do the installations, to decommission the gas, to rewire our houses, to install the heat pumps, for instance. Do you have enough tradies in two five one five who are fully trained in the in 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 this work? We've got some busy tradies. I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> We hope so. And that's part of, I guess, what we're going to learn as well. Yeah, as, as Francis said, this is a lot of the interest in this project is actually, well, how do we go about this in real, in real world scenarios? Um, so we, you know, we haven't yet rolled out things on a big scale yet. So we, um, but we're in the process of kind of collecting a lot of interest from local tradespeople. And um, we feel like, yes, there will be, um, a lot of benefit for our local trade industry and um, I think at this stage, but there will be enough, but we definitely believe on a whole that the government at various levels should be um, supporting the kind of transition for um, tradespeople in the clean electrification transition. And it's actually really exciting to to know about the number, a huge number of jobs that are going to be created um, by, um, by kind of all communities embracing electrification there's going to be so many jobs it's going to be fantastic for local economies um and but that you know we do need some more kind of investment in um skills training and things like that i was going to say as well that you know i think there was some media the other day that the um the plumbers association said that plumbers are going to be out of a job plumbers are going to be so busy for the next 15 years um yes. changing over everyone's hot water i know systems. Um, and, and it is good to be aware, you know, if you're just getting your apprenticeship as a plumber now, then make sure you're getting some electrical qualifications as well to be able to wire up those hot water systems. Um, but those little cross certifications are available that, that help people get this stuff done quickly. And, um, you know, the skills you get in retrofitting these homes are going to be very transferable. So it's much more a case of, you know, how are we going to source the skills and the labour force to actually get this done? That, that is a big question, um, but, but a big opportunity as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we could have a bit of a train wreck if we if we don't jump onto this issue now, though. Yeah, it's very much, I think, you know, it's, it's I think that the thing I like to think we're doing is really pointing to the big fact that, you know, the, the gas network is going to wind up in Australia over the next 20 years. And it's either going to be in a disorganized death spiral that, you know, really drives a wedge between 
um, well-off and poor Australians, or it's going to be backed by a sensible set of policies and, you know, with people feeling aware and prepared for what's going to happen. And people should be thinking about it now, you know, as they're building homes and as they're renovating homes um, and thinking about it as they, they look at their own career is that, you know, the, the Australia's going electric and um, Australian households are going electric. And that's, that's going to be a big change for the economy that's, that's full of opportunity. We've talked about the, the role of federal government in this transition. Let's just look at local council, though. What role do you want your local council to play in the transition? I guess there are a lot of things that local council can do and, um, you know, we really see them as key players um, in community electrification. They're the ones that have a lot of land, a lot of assets, and they also kind of have things like their rates that they can have opportunities for change as well. So we're trying to work with our council and they've kind of given us um, symbolic kind of support and we're hoping to see some that translate into kind of real... Um, projects basically we would love to see a lot more um, large-scale solar systems on council buildings um, we don't feel like they've kind of brought bought the message um, well enough that you know this is making economic sense for them if they're kind of investing in um, these large large solar arrays so they're doing some but you know we think that there's a lot of opportunity for them to do a lot more um, charging infrastructure is a really key area. We don't actually have um, electric vehicle charging infrastructure in the kind of northern part of um, where we are at the of Illawarra, the two five one five area. So we're hoping there can be that can be kind of hastened in terms of um, setting up, and we love that charging infrastructure actually to be coordinated with sort of the solar window. So whether that can be connected to um, local solar generation, so we can maximise the kind of clean version of charging cars, um, which also tend to be will be the most cheap for people as well. Um, and then, you know, there's potentially other bigger things that council consider doing that would require either sort of regulatory changes or things um, that they have within their capacity that would um, support households to move. And we're sort of working with them to see if they would be open to that too. So I guess there's a few different layers that a council can get on board to help and support their community. Well, one mop-up question I probably should have asked earlier, and that is the sort of energy savings you think you can make in 2515. Have, have, you, have you drilled down and tried to calculate some of those savings? Yeah, we did, we did um, crunch some of the numbers for our local um, area and that we worked out that about 4900 so close to $5,000, is spent on energy costs for a household, and that's... Um, over three and a half on petrol and diesel, about 900 on electricity and about $300 on gas. And so there's a potential for about four, about four and a half thousand dollars in savings that each household can um, make in 2515 if they get off those kind of um, fossil fuel based um, appliances and cars. And so that's sort of going from like $21 million that we spend on fossil fuels in 2515 every year. Um, within that, that's, you know, over $15 million on petrol and diesel. So that's, you know, we're now looking at sort of $20 million worth of community savings just for our local area mm. of 11,000 people. Um, and we even like worked out that would be about, uh, if, you know, in to, to service this electrification, it would be creating over like $1.3 million worth um, of 
tradies jobs like spent on the support so you know there's a lot of kind of community benefit from um, this process not insignificant <laughs> um you're you're obviously just a final question you're you're inspiring other groups around the country to launch similar projects and and you're both now working with rewiring australia to create other electric communities what advice would you both give to those communities that are just starting out on this on this project, on this transition? Um, I guess for me, like a lot of it, as I said it earlier on, um, I've we've really seen that power of collective action um, and the responsiveness to community-led change, and so I would um, you know encourage people to um, take heart that there's a lot of support there will be a lot of support from their community um, by these like by community led initiatives and so just demonstrating some of the benefits to households um, is like the first place to start and what we're trying to do I guess is like package up some of the information that we've given our communities um, to to, so to support other community um, groups to do something similar, kind of those same ideas of like showing people like what rebates are available, what are the steps that each household and then which, which each community group could actually go um, to sort of follow a similar path because there's definitely a lot that can be done and it's not, not necessarily that complicated, it's just about kind of getting all the information that's there and um, taking a bit of a step-by-step -step process and we're hoping to kind of provide a little bit of support with that. But so many community groups are already doing it as well. It's not necessarily just um, coming from Rewiring Australia by any means. There's so many wonderful communities that are already well on this path themselves and we're learning from them as well and we're finding that really exciting to see what, you know, communities like in Yakandanda or Hepburn are doing. They're just, you know, have really led the way in some of these kind of community generation and um, community-led sort of renewable projects. So there's a lot going out there and it's just sometimes it's about providing a bit of a step-by-step -step process of like what's the first and second and third thing that a community group can do to create that change. Yeah, and I'd add to that, it's, um, you know, the community group is one starting point and a, a lot of uh, a lot of this electrification journey for households is going to kind of happen over a, a pub table at Trivia as well. <laughs> people, people trust each other, people trust the people they know, um, that's how they make decisions about, you know, when they're going to buy a hot water system or when they're going to get solar panels. Um, you know, you, you don't spend that long Googling and waiting for Google ads to tell you what to do. You ask your friends who have gone through it before. So I'd just say, you know, everyone's got a great opportunity to be an advocate at a community level and, you know, to their own levels of government to, you know, it, it, next time you see a councillor, just push them on, you know, what roofs have you put solar on lately and are, are you really saving enough money on, um, on your electricity bills that you could be saving or... Um, you know, ad advocating at all different levels of, of community for this to happen. And it's going to happen, you know, to 100 million different machines in Australia over the next 15 years is that, that they're going to um, get taken out and replaced by electric uh, alternatives and, um, yeah, spread the word. Well, you guys are definitely spreading the word and it's a great word. Uh, Francis Veerboom and Kristen McDonald from Electrified 2515, thanks so much for joining the uh, Switched On podcast. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks for having us. And Frances Veerboom and Kristen McDonald are two of the community leads on the Electrify 2515 project. 
Francis and Kristen are also both now working with Rewiring Australia, the independent non-profit that's working with government, industry and communities, and they've set their aim to electrify everything. On our next Switched On Australia podcast, I'll be talking to Shane Rattenbury, the Minister for Energy and Climate Change in the ACT. The ACT is the only state or territory in Australia that has so far set a date to ban all new gas connections and to phase out gas from existing homes and businesses. Setting dates for getting rid of gas is seen as the best way to ensure we don't keep making climate change worse by rolling out what will soon become obsolete infrastructure. I'm Anne Delaney and I hope you can join me then. <laughs>